Saver 2011, coverage by Craft Beer Radio from Friday, June 3rd. Private Tasting Salon, Calif, Florida, a tale of East Coast-West Coast collaboration with Joey Radner, founder, Cigar City Brewing, Wayne Wambles, head brewer, Cigar City Brewing, Patrick Roof, CEO, founder, The Brewery, and Tyler King, director of brewing operations and head brewer, The Brewery. Saver is produced by the Brewers Association, which is the uh, national nonprofit trade association representing small and independent craft brewers. Uh, among the many activities that the Brewers Association coordinates in addition to Saver, the Great American Beer Festival, uh, the World Beer Cup, annual Craft Brewers Conference, and the website craftbeer.com. Uh, supporters of Saver, in addition to you all and the brewers downstairs that are uh, pouring beer for you, include the Reyes Beverage Group. Brewery Omegang, Dogfish Head Craft Brewery, Samuel Adams, CraftBeer.com, Allagash Brewing Company, the Brooklyn Brewery, Flying Dog Ales, Full Sail Brewing Company, New Belgium Brewing Company, Rogue Ales, Saranac, Sierra Nevada Brewing Company, Victory Brewing Company, Crosby and Baker, Draft Magazine, GreatBrewers.com, Oak Beverages Inc., and Spiegelau. Thank you for putting up with that long list of sponsors. Uh, and for your information, all Saver salons are recorded for podcast listening uh, by craftbeerradio.com. Now, to get things started, I'll introduce myself. My name is Jeff Mendel, and I'm the host of the salon for the evening. Uh, I'm a part owner at Left Hand Brewing Company in Longmont, Colorado, as well as a member of the events committee on the, of the Brewers Association. Uh, I've been in this industry for 25 years, and uh, I can say that... Uh, when I started in this business, I was 32, and uh, so that, I'm, I'm sorry, it's only been 22 years. I don't want to age myself anymore. Um, but to me, that means that these gentlemen that I'm going to be introducing to you are a second generation of brewers, and the thing that impresses me most about these fellas is the creativity that they bring to our, our game. Uh, creativity is an important aspect of our industry. It's the thing that keeps things exciting. And what we're going to be doing here uh, is called Cala Florida. We're going to taste some beers from two different breweries and then some beers that these brewers collaborated upon. Uh, our brewers this evening are uh, representatives of Cigar City Brewing in Tampa, Florida, and the brewery in Orange County, California. Both breweries are less than three years old, but have already made significant names for themselves in the industry. Representing Cigar City, we have Justin Clark and Joe Redner. And from the brewery, we have Patrick Rue and Tyler King. And uh, I don't want to waste any more of your or their time, so let's bring them on and start tasting some beer. Gentlemen? So, hi, everyone. Thanks for coming. Um, Cigar City Brewing, we are in uh, Tampa, Florida. We're... Uh, we sold our first beer, our first commercial beer that we actually made money on, um, in March of 2009. So we're about two and a half years old. Uh, next March we'll, we'll be three years old. Uh, we started with just, uh, there was just two of us. It was myself and my head brewer, Wayne Wombles, who, who couldn't be here today. Um, and we were really two employees for almost the first whole year. We had a few volunteers that helped us. Uh, and then... Pretty rapidly after about the first year, we, we started uh, expanding. We're up to 40 employees now. Uh, we're selling beer throughout the state of Florida, Alabama, New York, um, 
Pennsylvania, and we do send a little bit of beer to uh, Denmark. Uh, Guava Grove started out as uh, as a homebrew that I did. Um, it was actually one of the very first recipes that I did, and uh, uh, my head brewer Wayne helped me clean it up a lot. But it, the idea behind it, um, there's there's long been an association with uh, Tampa and Guava. Uh, it's it's kind of called the the Little Guava, um, and we have a festival every year uh, around Halloween called Guava Ween. And uh, so the idea was to kind of I always thought Guava. Uh, would, would complement um, a, a saison or a beer to guard style beer, so so that was the idea behind it originally. And uh, this beer, when we originally did it, was actually brewed. Uh, in addition to being brewed with the guava, was also brewed with um, a, a yeast strain that's kind of been mutated by another brewer in Florida uh, called Bob Sylvester from a brewery called Saint Somewhere, and uh, and we used his yeast strain in the beer originally. Um, his beer was a, his his yeast strain is a really wild and woolly yeast strain, and so it's really hard to tame. And so we've sw- we've we've set, we've since switched back to a cleaner beer to guard yeast strain, um, just to try to to tame the beast that was was uh, what Guava Grove had become, and kind of get it more back to what it, its original intent was. So um, so what you're getting is actually one of the last batches that was still brewed with. Uh, Britannomyces. Uh, we actually got it lab tested, and there was two different types of, of Brett going on in there, and a couple things I couldn't even identify. <laughs> so, <laughs> so you're getting to try some of the last uh, of, of what Guava Grove was before it becomes just a, a one a one yeast entity. So, cheers. Just going to move this a little closer. Joe, what, what, what yeast did you guys switch to? Oh, we switched to, what's it, 3711, yes. I think? Yeah, it's the French, what, beer, yeah, French beer to guard yeast strain. Nice. Yeah. Uh, so I'm Patrick from the brewery. Uh, we're just over three years old. We celebrated our uh, third anniversary last weekend. Had a big festival, a lot of fun. Uh, wish you guys could have been there, but this will be, be a lot more comfortable here. It's kind of hot. Um, <laughs> So I started homebrewing uh, during my first year of law school. Uh, I was graduating college, not knowing what I wanted to do for, for the rest of my life. I wanted to make some money doing something, and I, I, I don't like, I'm really bad at things that I don't like doing, so yeah, I'd be a pretty crappy lawyer. That's what I figured out by the time I graduated. And, uh, so, but, I, but I loved making beer. Oops. Uh, loved, loved making crazy beers in my garage. Uh, so I figure that's what I, that's my might be my best shot at success. Um, so leased a ghetto warehouse, had a bunch of graffiti on it when I got it. So that was a good negotiating uh, ploy to get get the rent cheap. Um, took almost a year to open. So uh, you guys probably know there's a lot of regulations in opening up a brewery. Um, but so we specialize in Belgian style and experimental beers. Um, not really doing anything to a particular style, but you kind of have to pigeonhole it into a style so people understand what they're buying somewhat. Um, so in a minute we're going to start off with uh, Oud Tart, which is uh, part of the influence behind our, our collaboration beer, along with, uh, along with their great uh, brown ale, uh, sort of malt base. Um, I don't know. You guys... Uh, Drink up. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I think we got 10 minutes per beer. Oh, shoot. Well, 
We're only eight minutes in, so you got two more minutes. But figured the first beer is going to be quicker. Yeah, you'll, that first beer goes down pretty quick, and then you guys will slow down. Yeah. Um, should I start over? Both your breweries do a lot of work with special yeasts, uh, you know, more advanced yeast work. When you're doing a beer dinner or some kind of event where it's not necessarily packed with beer geeks, how far down that how much, how do you go about the education side of that, and how much do you get into with it? Do you, do you explain briefly the whole brewing process? Do you, do you tell them what normal yeast is and how different Brett is? Or do you, you know, how do you approach that? So how do we explain the yeast cultures that we use to non-beer geeks? Is that the question? Yeah. Okay. And, how much edu- and how much education do you do when you're in a, a, an uneducated audience? Yeah. Um, well, I try to explain the difference between, uh, you know, sort of a, a normal yeast strain that uh, was cultured in a lab versus a wild strain, which was cultured in a lab, but previously not cultured in a lab, if that makes sense. Uh, I, I don't know. I think it's best described by the flavor components, uh, the barnyard and the, um, you know, sometimes a little bit, um, I don't know, spicy and, um, you know, um, goaty. You know, that kind of thing. <laughs> I, I have the best success, really. Just, you know, flavor-wise, it's all out there. You know, regardless of what you like, there's a beer you like. So I have the best success just getting them to try a wider variety of things and not really getting too much into it until they hit upon something they like. And then it's easier to sort of explain, well, why do you like that brown ale? Well, you, you, maybe you like sweeter malty flavors and then really hit on something they like and then focus on what's in there ingredient-wise that is causing them to like it. Um, you know, people that like Highlight, high or sorry, which is one of our beers, Highlight IPA is one of our flagship beers. People that like that beer tend to like grapefruity flavors or citrus flavors. Um, so, so once they've hit upon something they like, then we may go into yeast strains or, or, or hop varietals or ingredients like that. It's kind of easier to start from that, from that really you know, innocent point of, oh, I like this, and then go into why you might like that. And, and then, you know, you can, you can branch out from there and you can get as, in de- as detailed as, you know, as they want to get with it. Um, but, yeah, you start, from, you start from, that, from the point of interest, which is, I like this. If I don't like this, there's not really a whole lot of reason for me to get into it. You, you don't like it, so. I, I think it really depends on the dinner itself. If... The crowd wants to learn more about the technical side. They want to learn more about the yeast and bacteria that you're using. It's easy to geek out and go in depth into it. But some dinners you do, they, they really don't want to know. They kind of just know, they want to know where the flavors are coming from. And if you, touch, if you just touch base on it, they're pretty happy with that. Because I could talk about, I could go and talk about for like an hour about Britannomyces and bacteria. But, you know, some people don't want to know about that. We, we mostly get ours from a lab, 
Uh, the question was, like, where do we get our yeast and bacteria? We get ours from a lab, but we also keep ours in-house. So if, we're, if we want to propagate, like, lactobacillus or pediococcus up for a special beer, we have the capabilities of doing that in our brewery. But most of the time, it's a lot easier to call the lab up and just pay for it. Definitely, yeah. We're, we're pretty close to the two yeast uh, suppliers that we use, so it's pretty easy to call them up and get some shipped in. There's hundreds of them. I mean, we've, we've barely touched on anything at all, so. How long is this one aged? Is it blended? Oh, yeah. You want to talk about Utar? Yeah. So, Utar, or Flemish Red, was. Um, Kind of inspired by Wild Brews. In, in high, I started brewing in high school, and I started reading Wild Brews by Jeff Sparrow. And at the end of the book, I'm like, oh, this sounds easy. You know, I can make a beer. I was pretty naive at the time. So I did a quick recipe for uh, Flemish Red and fermented for about, I think, a year. Well, I aged it for three years. And then right when I started drinking it, Patrick was opening up the brewery, and him and I kept talking about uh, what beers he was going to do, you know, things like that. This is before I actually worked there. And I just had a keg of Flemish Red sitting at my house, and I actually gave it to Patrick to put on tap at uh, the brewery, which then was an empty warehouse. He's like, oh, this is a really good beer, and blah, blah. At the time, I, I didn't know better. I was like, yeah, it's, you know, I could drink it. It's all right. <laughs> <laughs> so what was cool is one of the first beers that we brewed was actually Uchart, what you guys are having right now. And it's made up of like Tiro, La Vienna, Cara Munich 45, Special B, um, unmalted wheat, so on. So a lot of specialty malts. And it's made up with Saccharomyces cerevisiae, or kind of like a neutral yeast strain, three different strains of Britannomyces, Pediococcus, Lactobacillus, Floor Sherry. And then as we actually got older as a brewery, we brewed a few different batches of this. And we kind of played around with some spontaneous fermentation, um, some other wild yeasts that we got in, some other bacteria that we got in. So each batch was never really brewed the same. And I think this one's made up of four different batches of beer. And then towards the end of it, when we went to package it, we blended all of them together. So the hard part of the job was actually sitting there tasting, you know, maybe 50 or 60 oak barrels and trying to come up with a blend. And when I say hard, it was, it's a really fun day, actually. So... <laughs> No, we have not. Uh, we're right next to a freeway, so it's probably, <laughs> the, it's probably not the best place to. But, you know, we, we say spontaneous because we have a lot of oak barrels, right? I think right now we have close to 700 oak barrels that are filled. So, you know, we, we put beer in, we empty it, and we'll refill it with wort. And whatever ferments, you know, that, that's what we will call spontaneous. Do either of your breweries um, employ a lab on site, or is it all third party? We have a microscope. Yeah, we have a microscope. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're kind of on the same range. Yeah. We, have, we have a small table, but in that small table that we have, we do uh, as much lab work as we can. So. Does that then leave just a lot of faith to the yeast strains that you're getting in, and that they'll behave the way that you expect them to, because I guess you can't really... Uh, track as closely as you otherwise could, or is it's, it standard it's, enough? It's faith, but it's faith, faith based on you know past experience. Um, we te- you know we tend to not push our yeast, uh, our main, our house yeast strain, which is uh, Tim's Valley. 
Uh, we, we tend not to push it too hard. We're, we're pretty, uh, um, you know, we're not, we're not slave drivers. We're not trying to get, you know, 30 generations out of it. Um, so, and what we'll do, too, is, is most breweries, we probably buy twice as much yeast as most breweries would, and we'll pitch them separate so we have more harvest points. So we try not to tax it too hard. And uh, with uh, 3711, that's, it's, it's a much more robust yeast strain. Um, and, you know, it will tear through a beer really, really quick. Right. Um, so each yeast strain you're going to treat a little bit differently, but, but we try not to tax anything too hard. And especially the use of bread at the brewery, have you all ever been bitten? You know, just uh, it went wild and, and did something you didn't expect. Uh, with bread, we, we kind of get the results that we're looking for. We actually kind of prefer a little bit more bread character. That's one thing we're trying to work at right now. Um, with our house yeast, we have a proprietary Belgian yeast strain. You know, we've we kind of learned the same. We we can't push our house yeast, so we we get it from the lab and it acts exactly how we think it's going to act. Um, Britannomyces and the bacteria that we get from the lab that's a little bit more iffy. Uh, every time we get from the lab, if we do like if we try to do 100% uh, Britannomyces fermentation with yeast from the lab. It's really tricky trying to get that started. Uh, the, it will actually sit for a few days before we actually see any activity, and it really scares me as a brewer. But with like our other yeast, or if we actually probably get our own Britannomyces or PDO or Lacto in our brewery, we usually get ferments going right away, and it's usually as expected. So uh, in our lab, we, uh, we do cell counts. We plate all of our beer. So we're watching our yeast pretty closely. Um, if anything is happening that's not supposed to, we, we definitely know about it beforehand. Yeah, well, it's, yeah, we do a lot of microscope work. It's actually that, that's kind of the pain trying to get a brewer to sit there and do a cell count like twice, three times a day. It's really not fun. Um, then we have uh, two interns right now who come in and they actually plate all of our beer. So when we ship a beer out, we're making sure that it's clean of any microbial infection. Uh, we do forced ferments because, again, our proprietary yeast strain, we don't filter or pasteurize any beer. And our yeast strain is a ninja. It will just ferment to completion. So we, we have to make sure that before we rack or package a beer, it's actually done fermenting because we've had over, uh, over-carbonation issues before. All right, so this next beer coming out is our collaboration, uh, our, our, our love baby, <laughs> right? <laughs> Uh, so it's called Marone Acidifiae, kind of hard to say. Um, we, so basically I, I, I was out, I guess 2008, 2009, visited, uh, visited Tampa, I think it was in July or August. Really hot there. Oh my God. In our unair-conditioned warehouse. I was just standing there with like a beer, you know, one of those delicious IPAs, and I was just sweating so much, and these, these brewers are, you know, mashing in, and I... Almost, almost fainted. Um, I, I just, I saw what they did there, and it really reminded me of what we do. Um, just so much passion behind behind what they make, and uh, uh, a lot of creativity. Um, you guys will kind of do, kind of do anything, and um, that's the that's the way I, I kind of see the world too. Um, so, we basically. We, we had Otard as a beer before this because that was one part of the inspiration. Uh, we like making sour beers, and we think we're pretty good at it. Very good and, at it. Um, um, you know, Wayne and Joey uh, were talking about their the brown ales, how, you know, 
what a delicious space that could be for uh, for a sour beer. Um, Joe, can you talk a little bit about your brown ales? Yeah, we brew a, a beer called uh, Belita. Uh, we, we describe it as a double nut brown ale. Uh, it's about 8% alcohol. And uh, I've always been a fan of, if you're familiar with a, a brand called Leafman's Gudenbahn, um, so, so beers like that, and that kind of sort of is where it came out. We do a lot of brown ales. We probably do more brown ales than any other brewery that I can think of. Um, and it's just, it, it's something that I personally enjoy. Um, so the, the conversation kind of steered there. I think we, we actually sat down to talk about the beer that we were actually going to create, which became uh, Maroon at JBF. Uh, we had a uh, we had a, a sort of beer uh, drinking slash let's talk about this uh, collaboration meeting. <laughs> And, uh, and that's kind of how it sort of coalesced. Um, it was sort of marrying these, these two things, you know, Oud Tart, which is a wonderful beer, with, with a little bit of something of, of what we do. Um, and it was, uh, I mean, I'll let you talk about how long it took. But the idea uh, came together fairly quickly. The beer itself, uh, beers like this don't get made overnight. They take a long, long time to make, which is one of the reasons why we don't do a whole lot of these beers. You know, we... We, we also do, I guess, some more sort of pedestrian beers, and, you know, the IPA and the brown ale, and, and those beers kind of exploded on us. And, you know, it's weird. The bigger we get as a brewery, the smaller I want to become. I, I want to, you know, kind of play and get to do a little bit more of the stuff that they do. Um, but, but these beers take, they take a, a long time to make, and, and they're not ready till they're ready. You can't rush them. You just have to, have to wait. So it ended up taking a while to do it, but, it, boy, was it worth the wait. I was really, really pleased with the way this this beer came out, and it, it really it reflected very well uh, on the brewery, and it made us look good, too, and we didn't have to do much. <laughs> so I'll, I'll let you guys talk about the actual creation process. Wayne, my head brewer, went out and brewed uh, um, with, with Tyler and the guys to create the actual beer. So when we were trying to develop the recipe for this beer, uh, the hardest part was, like, like, they, like I was already said, we do a lot of sours. They make some great brown ales. Uh, trying to marry the two together. So they actually shot us a recipe. We read it over, like, well, we should, we should change these malts and all, because not everything you do for, like, a brown ale translates well into a sour. So it, it took a few, a few emails back and forth. We finally nailed a recipe, what well, we thought we did. <laughs> Wayne came out. We brewed it. Uh, it it's, the malt bill resembles Utart to a sense. Um, a lot more specialty malts, a lot more kind of some roast malts that we usually don't use. Uh, some crystal malts that we usually don't use at our brewery. And then the, the one thing that makes this one really special is, as in Utart, we're using a lot of different yeasts and a lot of different bacterias. This one is made up of lactobacillus and Britannomyces bruxillianus. So it's really only two different, um, one yeast, one bacteria. So it's actually a pretty simple yeast base, but really complex in the end. And then... We brewed four 30-barrel batches of this. Uh, it fermented in stainless steel, then aged in oak barrels for about a year to a year and a half. And then we used a variety of different oaks. We used a uh, few previously used wine barrels, some previously used bourbon barrels. So I don't know if you guys know a beer. We make a beer called like Black Tuesday. Our anniversary beer changes every year. But right now it's uh, we are. I, I can't Secure. say. Secure. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, we, we've emptied those oak barrels, uh, previously used bourbon barrels, and then instead of putting another clean beer in, we put it in a sour beer. So this beer kind of got a, a mixture of different flavors, from some from wine, some from bourbon, some from previously used sour barrels, some from Black Tuesday barrels. So it, the, the hard part about this was 
trying to take you know, a couple hundred oak barrels, sitting down and trying to blend them to make a consistent product for each time we bottled. This was actually bottled over a week, and we bottle all of our sour beer on a hand filler. We have a six-head gravity filler. So it, you know, it, it took some time and it took some uh, blending techniques to make this one happen, but it, it was really fun doing so. Doing with time here. Got time? Cool. Yeah. I heard that um, Cigar City might in turn do another batch of this or a variation on uh, yeah. Maroon. Well, uh, Tyler came, so we so Wayne went to um, to Placentia to brew this beer, and then Tyler came to Tampa to uh, what was it? Yeah, April fifth to to do the return of the collaboration, which is called uh, Dos, Dos uh, Costas Westas, which basically means the two West Coasts. And uh, that beer was, oh, God, I don't even remember the malt bill. I know it's aged on cedar. Oh, there's so much in that beer. Do you remember, Tyler? What, what did we throw in there? <laughs> there's uh, Tiro Wheat. Um, there's, a, I think, Caramunic 20. So kind of a... Uh, yeah, it's kind of hard to describe. It, 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 Tyler mentioned before sort of trying to pigeonhole things. Um, it's loosely a high-gravity Belgian in the Saison style, roughly. Uh, but the, the beer is actually going to be packaged next week. Uh, and, and I had it right before we left, and I'm, I'm really uh, proud of the way it came out. I think it came out amazing. And, you know, they did such a good job on the first one. I, I felt a lot of pressure to make sure that we... we pulled off something good for the second, and I think that we have. I think we've done a pretty good beer. So it's going to get packaged um, next week, and, uh, and we're going to try to figure out how to get some out to California because we don't distribute there. I, I know it's spiced with sweet orange peel, coriander, yeah. and there's, there's uh, one other spice I'm, I'm blanking out. Uh, I, I want to say maybe pepper. I don't remember. <laughs> maybe. And, was, oh, ginger. I, yeah, I that's right. Ginger. Yeah, yeah. And, and the beer itself, basically, will, there'll be three versions of it, and, and each one will be on a different wood. So the first one is on a Cedrella, which is Spanish cedar, which we use in our humidor IPA. But it'll also be aged on a lemon and, and another citrus wood. We're hoping it'll be orange, um, but, but we've got to make sure that we can source it. So, um, so, so the other ones will, will be aged on, uh, on citrus woods. Took a while to finish in the barrels. Our took right. a while to get approved by the government. Yeah, yeah we, had a, we had a pretty nasty round of exchanges with the Tax and Trade Bureau on getting the label approved. And with small collaboration beers like this, or just small batch beers at all, are they money neutral or money losers for breweries? Because, uh, as you say, you have to work in volume with High Lime, yeah. Maduro. And, You're not uh, losing shift. money. You, you can charge enough to make money. I think the bigger, the bigger function and something that I've really... Um, tried to, to, to impress upon people is what you gain out of it is a lot of knowledge. So even if it's, even if it's a break-even proposition, I mean, you know, these guys have developed techniques to, to, to do things with beers that just never occurred to us. So you learn a lot. You, you know, people work with different ingredients on different equipments. But, you know, even on the business side of things, everyone has a different approach, and, and that's where you really learn a lot. And that's something I think is, is you, you see it a lot in, in craft brewing, um, but it's really kind of unique to this industry. I mean, how many industries do you know where two people who I guess that you could, you could technically describe them as in competition get together and go, hey, let's share secrets about how we, how we make our business better? Um, and that's extremely common in, in the craft beer industry. 
Um, so I, I kind of almost look at it as like, you know, continuing education, um, but, you act, but the result, you know, your, your final exam is a beer, you know, so. Yeah, yeah. It, it was great when Wayne, our head brewer, came back from the brewery and he saw a new process to improve the way that we're doing things. So plus what we learned on the beer, he came back and we adjusted processes in our brewery, which is just something else that we can learn from these collaborations, which was awesome. It's kind of like summer camp for brewers. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good way to describe it. <laughs> uh, so the beer you're drinking now is ISOFT. It's uh, basically Marone with uh, Florida, so pink guava added, pink guava. and California dates. Um, so originally we were going to use and run... Um, two fruits, one from Florida, one from California. Uh, we received uh, some, well, after Joey spent like half his uh, professional career finding black sapote <laughs> for us to, this fruit called black sapote, which uh, you could probably describe it better. Uh, black sapote is a, it's a kind of a subtropical fruit uh, that it, I would describe it almost as like a cross between cocoa powder and uh, yams, uh, sweet potatoes. And uh, it's grown pretty extensively in South Florida. Um, so, so I thought it would really complement, uh, you know, the, 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 the sort of brown ale side of, of the beer. Uh, but if you can remember, it was about a year and a half, two years back, or sorry, yeah, the previous winter, we had a really bad uh, cold spell in Florida, and it killed off all the black chipotle. So, so that kind of nixed that, and we had, to, we had to scramble, and we ended up having to go with the guava. Yeah, we, the beer was already brewed, and it was aging in oak barrels. And they sent some black sapote down. We actually mashed it up. We did two different versions of it, um, some peeled, some uh, seedless, some with seeds. And a few weeks later, we tried it before we actually added fruit to the oak barrels. And I, I won't say what our brewer described it as, but <laughs> it, just to say it was unpleasant. So we, uh, the, the beer that you have now, is, it, it aged all... We did 10 oak barrels of this only, so it's a very small, very limited amount. That uh, All of it came from previously used bourbon barrels that we house, so either house our anniversary beer or Black Tuesday again. <clears throat> and we don't filter or pasteurize any of our beer. So what you're seeing is an unfiltered version. We ran it through a strainer. The strainer couldn't catch everything. So depending on where your beer was poured from the bottle, you may have some actual fruit in your, in your glass. So... Makes it healthy. So. <laughs> Did you guys know that sour beer has like uh, probiotics in it too? Like lactobacillus. You know, if you read those probiotic pills, you know, it's like we use half of that stuff. It's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> um, of course, you know, you can't say beer is good for you. Oh, yeah. We wouldn't that. dare yeah. do that. <laughs> couldn't promote health benefits from beer. <laughs> no. Unfortunately. Um, well, maybe we could talk for a minute about our your expansion plans and what sure. we're what we're up to. So we're um, we started with a little thirty three hundred square foot, and when I say warehouse, I mean warehouse. It's an unair conditioned warehouse. The building that we're in, they used to manufacture um, basically the the uh, semi beds for um, for like carnival rides. So if you've ever seen like you know the the, the, the merry go round things that they'll just wrap up and put on a semi truck and drive away. 
um, and they did most of their business with Gibsonton, which is, is sort of the, the, the carny capital of, of, of the Florida. Yeah, well, there's a lot of them there. And so, so, so that's the building that we're in. Uh, used to, they used to manufacture uh, basically carnival ride semi-beds. And uh, we, we slowly started taking over that whole, <laughs> the whole complex, and we're building a new facility uh, in that complex. Uh, original brew house is basically just a brew pub system. It's a it's a two vessel combi unit, uh, hot liquor, mash tun, and and kettle. Um, we can only do about three brews a day, if, and four maybe if the stars align and and they're fairly low gravity beers. Uh, our new facility is going to be a true four vessel production facility. We, we we think we can get nine to twelve brews a day out of there. Um, so our current capacity in our, in our current facility is about 12,000 bar- barrels. A barrel is 31 gallons, so two of the, you know, the full-size half-barrel kegs. Uh, our current capacity is right around 12,000 barrels if we could get our chillers to cooperate, which in Florida is always a challenge. Um, but, but our new facility would put us somewhere in the range of forty to 45,000 just with it, plus the 12,000. Um, so so we're, we're building that. We actually got our, our permit approval uh, yesterday. Um, so so nice. we'll break ground on, on that um, pretty soon. And we're hoping by early fall to, uh, to have that up and running and, and be able to produce a little bit more beer. Yes. With our beers, or, yeah, with our beers, it's a pretty small percentage. Uh, most of the, uh, um, the, the the wild stuff that we've done has been pretty small batch. Um, I know I've got I know I've got something with lacto and pediococcus going right now, but it's like 55 gallons. Yeah. Um, so typically, it's really you just kind of have to go to the brewery to get it. But as we have additional facilities where we can sort of, uh, because we're also doing beers that don't have them in that, and we're, and we're trying to sort of keep those things isolated. Uh, as we get new space, uh, it is, it's definitely uh, something that, that we've d- discussed is, is having that, but having it sort of quarantined. Pardon? Uh, I think there's definitely uh, a pretty dedicated audience uh, for, for those kind of beers. Um, and, you know, it's a niche within a niche almost. I mean, you know, the craft beer um, market is fairly small. And then within that, people who like wild beers and, and those kind of flavors um, are even a smaller version of that. You know, uh, many people, the first beer they have with, with noticeable Brett are a little put off by it. Uh, but the people that enjoy it really enjoy it, and they're, and they're very dedicated to, to breweries like the brewery uh, Jolly Pumpkin, um, St. Somewhere in, in Tarpon Springs that, that consistently use that in, in uh, th- those strains in their beers to try to get those expressions. Um, I, I am I kind of sort of break in the middle there. Like I like Britannomyces, but probably not as much as as some of the more devotees do. Uh, but you know, every once in a while I'll crave it. You know, I kind of want to have a beer that that has that. So um, so there's definitely an an audience for it. There's a market out there that's interested in it. There's no doubt about that. I'll talk for a minute about our, uh, I don't know if you can call it expansion, uh, re, re-evaluation of what we're doing. Yeah, that happens every <laughs> month. <laughs> yeah. So we were in the process of uh, kind of going where Cigar City was going uh, to build a nice, nice big brewery and kind of do it the right way this second time around. And uh, started looking at the numbers. It's really expensive. Yeah. Uh, 
So we decided to basically focus a little bit more on the um, on the sour beers, uh, barrel aged beers in general. And uh, so we're currently we just leased a big warehouse, about twenty thousand square feet, uh, where we'll house um, hopefully up to three thousand barrels uh, once it hits its peak. Um, mix of you know bourbon barrel aged, you know, intense beers, and uh, and a lot of sour beers. Uh, to make that around 50% of our uh, production being being um, beers derived from a barrel. Um, you know, these are beers that I just get so excited about. It. All of our brewers, or everybody at the brewery, just are you know, super stoked about, about these beers. So we had to get rid of Orchard White. Um, so if you can still find some. We brewed our last batch maybe, what, four weeks ago? Um, so it's very sad, but, you know, there's a lot of great wood beers out on the market, and we just found that... We need to really focus in on what we what we want to do, especially with a limited amount of production. So right now we're doing about 5,000 barrels a year, and um, with doing some barrel fermentations, we'll get around to 6,000 barrels and probably stay there for a while. But um, really excited. Probably 2013 is really when we're going to see the bulk of these uh, beers coming out. Um, so it's a little scary to invest so much in... Um, Putting a lot of beer into barrels that, you know, out in earthquake country, we're, we're kind of due for it. So if you hear the brewery has gone out of business because of an earthquake, you know, you can just feel bad for me. <laughs> I think I'm getting earthquake insurance, so that's really expensive, though. Anyway, um, so yeah, that's what we're doing. Uh, you know, growth in the future is definitely not out of the, uh, out of the question. It's just uh, kind of reevaluating where we're at. Next beer already out? Yeah. All right, I missed it. Cool. And so we're, we're getting away from the, uh, from the tartar beers for a while. Um, uh, it, it's funny because Patrick's kind of doing like mentally sort of what I want to do. He's sort of kind of narrowing his focus to what he really wants to do. Like we kind of have a different dynamic in Florida. We've, we, we don't have a lot of craft breweries in Florida, and we sort of kind of by default became, you know, a lot of the of the devotees of craft beers, we kind of became their go-to brewery. Um, and so we had, I don't want to use the word pressure, but we had a lot of people cheering us on saying, you know, make more beer, send it down my way, we're not getting you in Miami, you know, we'd love to be able to get it up in Pensacola. Um, it was never my intention to really get much bigger than we are right now. Um, I really saw us as doing sort of a, a more of a niche business um, but there was a lot of, of demand, and I think it really was because, you know, you trip over world-class breweries in California. You know, they have 220-plus breweries, and, you know, every year at JBF, they take all the medals. Um, so, so you have so much good beer availability there. You don't so much, especially when it comes to local uh, beer in Florida. So we've kind of, you know, I almost feel sort of beholden to, 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 to my fellow craft beer fans in Florida to kind of get a little bit bigger so that they do have something um, that they can call their own. And uh, so the highlight, uh, the beer you have now is, is a version of highlight that we do. That's, it's, our, uh, it's our IPA, India Pale Ale, and it's aged on American white oak. It's a little bit probably colder than you should be drinking it, but if you want to just give it the, the old... I do this a lot when I'm at bars that, that, that serve a little cold. You know, you, you cup it and let it soak up a little bit of hand, hand warmth. Um, this is a beer that's aged on American white oak. Um, we also do a beer uh, that's going to be on the floor... Uh, that's aged on Cedrella, Spanish cedar. And that is the only difference between these two beers. So if you get a chance to try that one down there, 
it's literally one difference, and that's the wood that it's aged on, and it, they go in completely different directions, literally just from that wood. Uh, with this, you're going to get uh, a lot of vanilla notes, maybe even a little bit of coconut. Um, there's almost even kind of hints of dill um, yeah, in the finish, and, and uh, it, it tends to tame some of the more bitterness. A lot of people that don't, that don't like IPAs tend to not like them uh, because of the bitter level. This moderates that a little bit. Um, and if you ever cook with vanilla, you'll, you'll know vanilla is sort of the great uh, softener. Uh, so the, so those, those perceived vanilla notes tend to smooth out some of the rougher edges. Um, and it, it makes it a little bit more approachable, I think, for people that are not necessarily IPA fans. Um, one of the reasons I like it is I just, you know, I really like wood expression in beers. Um, and so, so for that reason, we, we do tend to use a lot of wood. We've used, obviously, the white oak and, and the, uh, the cedrella, the Spanish cedar, but we've used... Walnut, cherry, red oak, um, lemon, grapefruit wood. Uh, we've probably used 10 or 15 different woods over, over the course of the, the first two years of operation. I'm a big fan of, of white oak and cedar, yeah, it, which are the ones that we do the most of. But, um, you know, cherry wood actually can be very interesting in multi beers. Uh, it takes a lot longer contact time to start to pick up the flavors because it's a more subtle wood. Uh, but, but it can be very interesting, too. Uh, especially in, in milder beers that tend, that tend not to do so well with wood aging because it tends to thin them out. Um, cherry wood tends to work better in, in, in lower gravity beers. So I know a lot of the woods that you guys use, you can't just go out and buy as a supplier. So how, how do you come about? Uh, well, we, we got a relationship pretty early with a place called the Barrel Mill out of Minnesota uh, that, uh, that does a lot. Of, they, they create what's called a spiral. And originally, they were mostly selling them to the wine industry to sort of sort of do barrel aging in, in their barrels that were maybe a little over the hill so they could still get some wood expression out of them. And we basically called them up and was like, yeah, we're, you know, we were just pulling cedar out of cigar boxes to try to, you know, see how. And, and uh, we said, hey, if, 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 you know, would you get this wood and try to make it? And, they, you know, they thought we were insane which we knew was a, you know, that, hey, that's always a good indicator. If they think you're insane, you're probably doing something, you know, interesting. So, so they made them for us and, and, uh, and sent them down. And, and now we've, we've gotten to the point of relationship that we're starting to, to put their logo on our barrel-aged beers um, because we've, we've got a little bit of notoriety for the, the, the cedar beer. Um, and so they asked us, would you mind putting our logo on there? So home brewers and other brewers sort of know where you can find this wood. And we were like, hey, you, you helped us out. Because uh, we really probably couldn't commercially make this beer if it wasn't for them. We, we went to a, a local guy because I wanted to try to keep everything local in the beginning and to get him to sort of prep the wood in a way that, that we could use it in our fermenters because you've only got an entry point about that big um, because you're, you're adding it to beer that's already fermented out. So it's not like you can open the manway door. Well, you could, but then you're going to only have half your beer. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, so the cost of doing it, Without the specialized equipment that they're able to utilize, it just would have been cost prohibitive. We, we couldn't have brought the beer to market uh, in anything but a very small amount. So, so we were happy to sort of advertise their services. Um, and, and it's been kind of gratifying to me because a lot of home brewers have sort of started playing with this wood. Um, be, and what that tells me is it's, it's, not you know, it's, it's not just a gimmick that we're doing to say, hey, we're from Tampa. It actually adds 
a flavor and a character to beer that, that people do enjoy. And we won back-to-back medals with the, with the Spanish cedar version of it at JBF, but it also uh, won a gold at, 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 the, at the National Homebrewers Conference. That, that this guy actually just happened to stop by the brewery, asked him if we'd give him some spirals. We did. He brewed a beard with it, entered it, and he won a gold medal at, at the National Homebrewers Conference, too. So we're really excited about that. Any questions? I'd say California in general is a pretty good craft beer drinking audience, especially San Diego and uh, LA is becoming great, uh, great for us. Uh, we're in Orange County, so Disneyland and all that. Uh, not a great beer culture. Uh, you know, we sell less beer that, in Orange County than um, than we do in LA or San Diego. Um, but um, I don't know. I, I I think of us not so much as a local. Well, we definitely are a local brewery in that area, but. Um, yeah, I tend to think of things on a, um, you know, we're in 20 states. What's, you know, what's going to be appealing to um, really beer enthusiasts? Um, you know, there's a lot of craft beer being consumed, but not always by, by hardcore beer enthusiasts. And I, I think that we, um, we sort of stand out. We're in, uh, you know, highly educated uh, uh, beer geeks, if that makes sense. I'm beer geeks. So I'm allowed to say that. <laughs> Florida, we definitely are supporting any breweries that are up and coming and want to open. I'm sure like a lot of other breweries, uh, we try to keep other Florida beers on our guest taps. Kind of subscribe to that theory that the rising tide will float all boats. So we have, uh, we were up on Capitol Hill today trying to get an uh, excise tax bill passed and we were doing a little worksheet and we have about 18 breweries in the works to open in Florida. And so that'll be great for our industry. We look at it as it's going to help everybody out, not not hurt everybody. We have a long way to go to catch up to uh, California. Um, right now, it includes contract brands even. I think the state of Florida has 40 breweries, if you include all the brew pubs and everything. And San Diego County has 44. <laughs> wow. 220 in California. Yeah. Yeah, we have 23 in Orange County, so <laughs> I was just saying how crappy it was. But it's, yeah, it's a lot of, it's a lot of breweries. <laughs> Uh, we're going to be doing one with uh, Stone and Elysian uh, pretty soon. Pumpkins, our first pumpkin beer. Stone's first beer, pumpkin beer, too. So yeah. that'll be fun. Um, you know, no, we need to do more collaborations with yeah. our local breweries. We uh, Provisions, maybe. Yeah, we have this provisions uh, series uh, for our shop uh, a few miles away from our brewery. Um, so we definitely want to get, get our neighbors in on uh, brewing a beer with us. We definitely, we do a lot of collaborations with local home brewers. I think we've done four beers uh, that have, are based on winning uh, home brew recipes. So that's a lot of fun. We definitely drink all the locals' beer, so it'd be, <laughs> yeah. fun, to, it'd be fun to make a beer with them. <laughs> it takes a lot of their beer to make our beer. So. Yeah. Sure, <laughs> that's very true. <laughs> yeah. Any other questions? Yeah, um, oh, yeah. 
So what we have now is what we describe as a Mayan chocolate imperial style. Uh, I tend to call it Hunap, Hunapu, but, it, but its actual pronunciation is Hunapu. Um, but it's just it's so much work to put that much emphasis on the syllable. Uh, so, so Hunapu is kind of what we tend to call it. And, and, and what it is is, is an imperial stout um, that's aged on uh, Peruvian cacao, ancho and pasilla chilies, um, vanilla, and threshold levels of cinnamon. And really the idea was it was, was really almost from a culinary standpoint to try to make sort of a mole beer stout um, and it, it was it was something that we did. It was one of the first beers that we ever entered into like a competition. Uh, my my head brewer Wayne Wombles was brewing at a place called Foothills, and they brew a, a, an imperial stout that they brew with uh, cacao. And he had had a, an idea as a home as a homebrew recipe to do a beer like this, and he, and he pitched it uh, to them, and they thought it was a little bit out there. Um, when he first pitched it to me, I was like, "Why haven't you made that already? <laughs> Why am I not drinking that right now?" Uh, so, so we brewed it up. This is back when we were still doing construction on, on the building. We brewed it up, and I was just blown away. I just, it, was, it was amazing. It was really kind of up my alley, sort of everything that I like. Um, and so we brewed it again for something called the Atlanta Cascale Fest, which is uh, an invite-only festival where all the beers are cask beers. Um, in fact, I think Left Hand was there that year that, that we went. Um, and we, we weren't even selling beer commercially at the time. We... Uh, we just, we literally were brewing on a 15-gallon system at the time because our, our commercial system wasn't plumbed in. Uh, so we brewed this beer, uh, let it finish out in the cask, and, and you know, hopped in a pickup truck, and you know, and, and Wayne took it up to Georgia, and and it won first place uh, at at the fest. So that was, and that that was the first time that really many people had even heard of us. A lot of people didn't even know that that we were make that we were starting a brewery in Tampa, especially most of the people in, in that part of, of the world. Uh, so that was the first beer that we ever entered into a competition, um, and, and we, we won uh, first place for that one. So it was pretty cool, and, and it's, it's one of my favorite beers that we do. We brew it uh, once a year uh, and release it once a, ve- once a year, but, but I always hold on to a lot for my personal stash because it's a beer I, I do enjoy drinking a lot. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. March 12th. Uh, uh, we, we've done it the last two years. We've, March 12th. Yeah. And actually, we're. Uh, I think uh, the next year is a sort of the end of the world according to the to the Mayan calendar. So we maybe have to really do it up for that one. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a brew only. We 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 will send a case to the distributors, but you know, not much gets out of that. I'd like to comment on uh, distribution and the availability of your beers. I winter in Pardon? I winter in Naples, Florida. Oh, okay. The only beer that I can get is from uh, from uh, I can't think of the name right now, uh, and I will in a minute. I was too late though. And both of your beers. I mean, I love your beers, but I can't get a hold of them. Yeah, Naples is really, kind of a really hard. Naples, yeah. I Naples know, is a dead is, spot in Florida. Naples, yeah. it's the uh, beerless capital of the world. Yeah, it's Naples is weird. And it sort of sits thing in I that. Get is from is Total Wine and more. It sits in. And a when spot. I go in there, I can't even find your beer half the time because yeah. they they run out of it. They're probably not getting enough of it. 
Well, there's a total wine, I think, yeah, here, there total now. Total wine or more, there's, it's there, and I, I go in there regularly, and I try to get the beer, and I can get the regular run-of-the-mill beers. I can't get any of the specialty beers. Well, we need I you. think you guys are selling yourself short, and, and you really have to try to increase your, your production and your distribution. We're working on that. Really. <laughs> Doesn't it taste so much but better when it's hard to beers. find? <laughs> I can get a hold of brewery better than I can get a hold of... Of your well, stuff, Cigar City in, in, in Florida. I do and have certainly a, up here. Well, I have a suggestion. If you winter in Naples, the Tampa airport is, is consistently ranked one of the top ten in the country, so just fly into Tampa. We're five minutes away from the airport, stock up, and then head down to Naples. <laughs> and, and I really think you, you should try to ramp up a little faster. I well, know, we, maybe, you, maybe, you guys, maybe you guys can't look at the dollars and say, holy moly, that's a lot of investment. But yeah. you're making great beers. Do us I mean, a favor and get more of your friends in Naples buying beer, not just you, and I'm sure more No, they're will buying the there. beer because when I go in there half the time, the Cigar City stuff, is most of it is gone. But the problem is we're not getting enough of it down there. That's what I'm talking about. It's oh. there, but it's not enough, and right. people well, are buying we're, it. We're definitely working they know on putting more in the beer. pipeline. Can you loan me some money? I I live in Maryland most of the time. You give me five million dollars, I guarantee I will get get more beer into Naples. Thank you. Anybody else have comments or questions? Let me get that let me get this to you. And this is sort of a left turn after we've been trying like increasingly um, you know, extreme or more flavorful beers through the night. But and you and um, Cigar City might have a, an answer or a response to this as well. But for the brewery, I was wondering um, how is your uh, your Berliner Weisse doing on in terms of sales? Because it's I mean, it's one of my favorite beers, and I love. Uh, and as you guys are putting a thumbs up, like a lot of people love really good, really flavorful low alcohol beers. This is on the extreme end. It's like three point five or something. And you're selling it in 750s. Um, I personally love to see stuff like that. And I think a lot of dedicated nerds are, are getting around to session beers. But I was wondering if you're, how, how it's doing for you and if you're coming up against any resistance or if it's actually being really popular. Yeah, it sells really well. Um, we've never made enough of it to see how well it sells. Um, it sits in the tank for, I think our average is about 60 days. Um, so it's a beer that we, we could brew three other beers while that one's sitting in the tank. Um, so we decided not to make a whole lot of it. I'm really trying to find this tank where I, I can age a whole lot of it, you know, and that's the only thing we brew in that tank is, is Berliner Weiss. So we just haven't really tested to see how, how well, well it sells, but it always sells up very quickly. I think the most recent batches we just saw at the tasting room because people get kind of pissy with us if we don't have it on tap, you know, so... I mean, people email us too and get angry, but you know, people when they actually come in our face and start complaining, we yeah, we tend to uh, serve those people first because they can they can do some damage. I think uh, session beers. I'm definitely a fan of that, but when you go to market with them, um, you're making them in small batches and they're lower ABV, and you have a harder time. You, you have to charge more because we're making them in such small batches. And unfortunately, there's a lot of people out there that are shopping ABVs, or even if not, even if they're not looking for the most bang for their buck, when you're going to market with a three and a half percent beer, and I don't, I'm, 
though it's the retail and you know is is just eight ninety nine seven bucks, and you can buy a whole another six pack. But I think that's where the struggle is. There's few people right now looking for that or willing to pay the cost that it takes to bring that beer to market at that lower ABV. But uh, as far as their Berliner, we're all big fans <laughs> in Tampa for sure. We love brewing it. So I mean, it's like the less the least amount of malt we use in a beer. The shortest boil time. I mean, for as a brewer, <laughs> it's the easiest it beer to actually make. It, it makes our day very enjoyable. <laughs> like, but again, it just takes up so much fermenter residency time. It, it's a it's a tough one. No. Yeah, we we do. Uh, uh, let's see, we do an English dark mild called Elector. We do uh, a table saison, which is about four percent alcohol. We actually do a lot of mild beers, but we sell them mostly at the tasting room or draft locally because. The, the wider market, it's just it's not quite as profitable because you have to charge almost as much for these beers. In fact, we have a Pilsner recipe, but it costs us as much to make that as the as IPA, and people don't want to pay that for those kind of beers. So, so there's that catch twenty two there. Um, so you know you can you can you can justify it if you're selling it at your tasting room, uh, but not so much if it's going out into the into the into the larger market just because of the batch size that you're doing. If we made, you know, if we made a, a thousand barrels of it, yeah, we could probably do it more profitably. Okay, we got time for one more question. Going once. Okay. I was just curious about a point that was made by Joey earlier about you wanted to be a certain size and you've gotten bigger. Um, by the nature of the market, are you you know, both forced to, to grow larger than you envision, than you want to be? Um, does that ultimately affect the, the nature of the beers? You know, I'm, I'm guessing, as you said, that you have to make more Maduro, more highlight these days as opposed to the small stuff, that uh, the brewery's also going to eventually get into that scenario where um, you have a few standard beers and you have to just keep making those and move away from the specialty batches. Yeah, we've decided we're just going to apologize for not being big enough. Uh, <laughs> Big pardon, sir. Yeah, I mean, there's so many great breweries coming out right now. We're not, you know, nobody drinks our beer exclusively. We know that very well. And, um, you know, we're just, we're a once-a-month beer, and I don't mind being that. Um, and our biggest thing is just quality of life. I, You know, for the brewers and for myself and my family, uh, you know, I just want to have a lot of fun doing this job. And at a certain point, it becomes a real business, and you have investors and you have banks involved and people complaining that you're not making enough money for them, and I don't want to get there. You know, that's, that's, when, that's at the point where I consider selling the, the brewery, and I don't want to do that. So. All right. Jump. In our case, one of the reasons we are getting a little bit bigger is sort of so I can be smaller. Like I said, the bigger we get, the smaller I tend to think. Uh, so the new production facility can sort of handle the heavy lifting, and, uh, and then the original facility can sort of be, you know, the playground. We get to really do what we want in, a, in an environment that, that there isn't that pressure uh, to, to meet distributor demand for, for product. It can just be you make what you want to make for the enjoyment of, of, of exploring it and making it, uh, and you're not as beholden to, to sort of keep up with, with that latest shipment order. All right. Let's give a big hand to Joe and Justin and Patrick and Tyler. Thank you very much, guys. Thank you, guys. This podcast was produced by the Brewers Association and presented by Craft Beer Radio. To find more information on Savor or further podcasts, 
visit craftbeerradio.com slash saver or craftbeer.com. This content is released under the Creative Commons license. Visit craftbeerradio.com for more information.